Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever and wherever it is that you're listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans has always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Cody Paulson, coming to you from Houston, Texas, by way of Ponte Vedra Beach. And you can find me on Twitter at the Cody Paulson. Our other hosts for this episode are Nicholas Face out of Reading, Massachusetts, and Terry Cushman coming to us from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine. Nicholas, how are you doing tonight, and where can the fans find you on Twitter? I must not be behaving, Cody, if you're calling me Nicholas. That's what my mother called me. What did I do wrong? No, <laughs> they can find me at FaceTheFacts15, and I am eating some humble pie, I have to say. I... On our lovely YouTube show, did not have much confidence for the Red Sox for getting the job done, especially after that national series. So that's fine. If I'm public enemy number one in the bulletin board in the locker room for the Red Sox, hell, so so be it. So be it. If 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 my takes are are really gonna ruffle some feather, then they're gonna win. I'm all for it. Oh, what a guy getting the boys. Ready to go for this uh, this big stretch of baseball coming up. Terry, how are you doing tonight? And where can the fans find you on Twitter? I can be found at Cushman MLB, and I am good. When I was in trouble as a as a very delinquent child, my parents would call me Terrence, and then as I got older, my dad would just call me by my last name. He'd be like Cushman. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, so. Is what it is. I'm named after my dad, actually. So, uh, but anyway, so let's uh, let's get into the standings here real quickly. Red Sox do sweep the New York Yankees and uh, only gain a half a game on the Toronto Blue Jays, who had a pretty good weekend. So, if that tells you how hard it is to climb back into this wild card and, and actually get into that third slot, it is extremely hard. Red Sox have a series uh, this week. Uh, I think it's four games against the Houston Astros. And then we got the Los Angeles Dodgers back at home at Fenway. So we've got a tough week. The Blue Jays have, let's see, they have the Orioles. And I already forgot uh, who they have this weekend. Oh, the, is it the Guardians. It is the Guardians. Yeah. So. They don't have a cupcake week by by any means, but uh, especially with the Orioles. But it's going to be one of those weeks where it's uh, it's going to be tough. I want to go over just a couple of things here real quick before we get into studs and duds. The Yankees are historically bad. This is as bad as most. Uh, this is as bad as you guys have ever seen. You guys are what right around thirty, just over thirty. You've never seen a losing series from the New York Yankees because I think it was in 1992. So presumably you guys are in diapers at that point. I'm a little bit older. I was nine years old in uh, 1992. So but I wasn't obviously, you know, locked into the Yankees. So we're all kind of seeing it for the first time uh, a truly bad Yankee season. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's any shakeups. And I think their low point was that Garrett Cole game when he just got utterly blasted. Was that that was Urias, wasn't it? That hit the, the that was Saturday's game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Luis Urias, who had back-to-back grand slams and back-to-back at-bats, you got to go back to his uh, previous uh, game against, I think it was the Nationals in Game 3. But, um, yeah, and this isn't Cole's first taste of the Red Sox. 2018 ALCS, he was he was the number two in the Houston Astros rotation behind Verlander. And made one start against the Red Sox that series, went six innings, gave up four earned. Not a great start for him. 2021 in the one-game wild card where Jerry Remy, throughout the what ended up being his final appearance, throughout the, right. the ceremonial first pitch to Dennis Eckersley, Garrett Cole only lasted two innings in that wild card game. Two innings, uh, gave up three earned runs on four hits. Aaron Boone had to, uh, and there were runners on base too when uh, Boone came out to uh, take him out to try to salvage the game. So I think that's the low point was the grand slam on Garrett Cole, and he just looked utterly defeated. Uh, the the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry, whatever is left of it, isn't treating him very well. And he was offered a similar deal. The Los Angeles Dodgers tried to sign him a few winters ago. Uh, they offered him eight years, $300 million. That's $37.5 million a year over eight years. That's what he could be making right now with the Los Angeles Dodgers. But instead, he took another contract that was one year longer with the Yankees, nine years, $324 million, $36 million a year. So a little bit less annually, but a little bit more overall. Not looking good. The Yankees, they need to blow it up. They really do. They need to they need to trade whatever they can. I don't I mean they, they don't have much to trade, <laughs> um, unfortunately, but they need to blow it up, rebuild, presumably with a new front office. I don't know if they're gonna be smart enough to do that, but Garrett Cole's never gonna win a championship in New York. It's just gonna take too long to get the team competitive again. So should probably have taken the deal with the Dodgers and the Dodgers back then first place every year. And as the as the Padres have gotten better, as the Diamondbacks have gotten better, as the Giants have gotten better, guess who's still in first place right now in the AL West? The Los Angeles Dodgers. How many, man, he could have, he would have won a ring in 2020 and, and maybe, um, you know, maybe more, you know, especially if he was a, a key component of that rotation. So crazy. He he missed two chances at rings, uh, you know, one in 2018, you know, against us. We knocked him out of the ALCS. Then they lost in game seven of the 2019 World Series. I think he was the starting pitcher for that game. Pitched a great game, but uh, I forget who got to him. It wasn't uh, one of the Astros better hitters either, but um, but yeah, and then, uh, went to what the ALCS one time with the Yankees. So came, came close, but he's probably n- that never going to win a ring. That game seven was as close as he'll ever get. So I, I'm not having much fun with the Red Sox this season, but, uh, the Yankees fans are probably having a lot less fun with, uh, with their own team. 
Yeah, I mean, speaking of bulletin board material and and the rivalry, you know, I think we got to spend a little bit of time here to give Nestor Cortez a shout out to say that, you know, the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry isn't what it used to be, that, you know, the Yankees are focused more on the Rays and the Blue Jays. And, uh, you know, it's been a swift thumping um, ever since then. So, you know, shouts out to him him for that. But uh, why don't we go ahead and get into the studs and duds? Nick, why don't you lead us off with your stud for this series? I feel like every time I come on for the weekend and talk about what happened from a game, Justin Turner, I think, has been on my stud list more times than not. Here's a guy that the Red Sox took a chance with this offseason. I give as much kudos to Kike Hernandez with recruiting him to bring him in here. It's almost like that was the gift that kept on giving. But Justin Turner has just been the team's MVP in my eyes this season. He has put the team on his back time and time again and has allowed fans to feel at ease when he comes into the lineup, makes some sort of impactful play, whether it's hitting, fielding, heads-up base running, doing something positive in the clubhouse. Today alone, three-run shot, gets the lead to 5-2. to two. Don't you worry, though. It's 5-5. Here he comes in the ninth inning and knocks in another go-ahead run. It's You never really knew what to expect in a way with Turner after J.D. Martinez went to the Dodgers and everything. You know, 38 years old, it gets up there. You're like, is this guy going to continue to produce and be somebody that can be counted on? But I made an interesting an interesting uh, little talking point today about where would this team be without Justin Turner right now? I don't even think we're having a conversation right now of this team even being in contention without Justin Turner. I mean, numbers alone, he had an awesome July. His July, he hit 337. He had, what is it, five home runs. He knocked in 28 RBIs for July, already for August. We're almost done with August, but hitting 308. He's got eight, uh, yeah, he's got three home runs. He's got eight RBIs so far. He's been banged up. He's been playing through some things. But you know what? He's a pro's pro. He's going to get the job done. It doesn't matter if he's walking around on one foot. The guy is going to be a stud no matter what. So very happy with Justin Turner. Hopefully we can keep him healthy and productive and maybe be that force that this team needs, especially with the most important series of the year with the Astros, the Dodgers, and then the Astros again. Well, Nick, you, you said, you know, Turner's been, you know, basically carrying the, um, the offense and, and what did we expect from him? You know, I I think I expected, uh, you know, a guy to be about, the third or fourth best bat in the lineup. That's what I would have said preseason. And he's essentially been, I'm trying to find a good comp for him across the league. And he's almost been like a Paul Goldschmidt type guy for the Red Sox, just a steady fluid hitter. You know, those two at bats were so different. Okay. You're tied and you're, you're just trying to drive in as many runs and he crushes one on a three-run shot. Next at bat, a little bit different. You're just trying to put it in play and move the runners. You don't want to fly out there. Just ripped a ball into, uh, I think it was right field, and 
got the runs in. So, uh, you know, he's he's the best pure hitter on this team right now. And I'm going to say he's better than Yoshida. Yoshida does things kind of in bunches and gets quiet for a little while and it is what it is. I mean, you're still going to you you're still going to take Yoshida every time, but but Turner is the guy and it it was hilarious in that 7th inning before he hit that that three-run shot because uh, Reese McGuire draws uh, a walk. I'm trying to find it here. Yeah, so Reese McGuire draws a walk. Pablo Reyes sack bunts him over. I mean, seemed kind of trivial at the time. Verdugo pops out, and so you got you got um, Reese McGuire at second. Endeavors has been the most dangerous guy so far. So they intentionally walk him, put him on first base to get to Turner, and then Turner crushes them. <laughs> it's like, I was thinking, like, and I tweeted sarcastically, I'm like, well, maybe they should have walked Turner too, <laughs> you know, and just loaded the bases. There were two outs, so I, I'm not saying maybe a guy like Joe Madden, you know, pulls that off, but, but to have two dangerous hitters like that is just unbelievable so and he's doing it on a bad foot and Costas is out with a toothache or a tooth infection I guess and Turner can hardly run but Costas can't handle his pain so Turner has no choice but to to deal with his pain and was playing the field when he should have been DHing he probably should be on the injured list but, you know, our backs are against the wall and, and he knows that and trying to keep the, the wild card race alive and back to back games, Justin Turner played first base for you. So had a hell of a series. If at the beginning of the season, I was to tell you, hey, Justin Turner's going to come in, he's going to have 20 bombs and 80 RBIs, you would sign up for that in a heartbeat, right? You would be like, man, that's over the moon. We would be thrilled to get that kind of production out of him. Under the understanding that he'd be, like you guys had mentioned, you know, the third or the fourth best bat in this lineup. He's got that already. He's batting 288, and we've got a month and a half left in the season for him to add to those counting numbers. I mean, this guy's been a pro's pro, you know, a great find. And, you know, I know it wasn't a direct one-for-one swap with Los Angeles and JD, but it's it's one of those rare occasions where it's, you know, new new surroundings and it works best for both sides, right? Um, you know, when they, when they walk Devers, you're like, oh, man, here's a chance, right? Like, you know, Turner has been that protection for Devers in the lineup all year long. When he comes up again in the ninth, you're like, there's no way he does it again, but he's been doing it for the last month and a half, if not all season. And what does he do? He dumps the ball into the right field corner and scores, you know, what ends up being the go-ahead run. Um, the model of consistency, which is something that this team has struggled with, uh, you know, series in and series out, he hasn't been that guy, right? He's been the guy that is always producing, hitting at a high clip, putting together professional at-bats, never trying to do too much. You know, I think if there's going to be one knock that we have to, to Rafi, it's, you know, he's maybe a little bit too aggressive, maybe trying to, you know, leave the yard on too many at-bats and not trying to just put the ball over second baseman's head or over the shortstop's head. And, and Turner takes that, right? You know, if it's got a good pitch outside, he'll just flip one into right field and, and move the lineup along. And, you know, hopefully we can use this as, um, you know, a mentorship to make, you know, make Rafi and some of the other guys a more balanced hitter 
to help Yoshida, you know, get up to speed with with MLB pitching versus, you know, Japanese pitching. Um, I think they flashed a statistic and Turner joined, I think, Ortiz and and the likes of Teddy Ballgame as guys that are over 38 that have had 20 plus home runs. And it's, it's a short list and he's on it. Um, it's just been a great sight to see, you know, that additional depth um, in the in the batting order, as well as from the right side, right? You know, we had lamented the lack of balance that this lineup has, lefty heavy, and for him to be able to, you know, knock on wood, stay healthy to this point and contribute as he has, it has really, you know, been a sight for sore eyes for us. Anybody have anything else they'd like to add on Justin Turner? Just no? build that right. statue. Got to build it. Statue. Uh, Terry, who did you have as your stud for this series? So my stud for the series, there was a lot to pick from. I'm going to go with Brian Bayo. Um, you look at his pitching line, it doesn't blow you away. Uh, six innings pitch, six hits, one earned run, walked one, only struck out four. I still, again, want to see more strikeouts from this kid. And if he's throwing 97, 98, he should be missing a few more bats to, to get that strikeout total up. And maybe that's something that'll come next year, but I'd love to see a little bit more than that. But at the same time, it was a very solid start. He, you know, was quietly in control the whole game. He, he did have some, some run support, you know, to, to work with as well. But typically Bayo is the type of guy that can pitch around base runners anyway, the one run he gave up, fourth inning, Anthony Volpe hits a double. Uh, he ended up getting moved over to third and then I think came in on like a fielder's choice, something like that. But that was the only run, you know, Bayo gave up in, in the sixth innings and gave up a couple of uh, singles in the fifth, but none of them came home, wasn't that consequential and just all in all, a, a pretty solid start from Bayo and his his you know his innings are as high as they've ever been. So we're in uncharted territory with him, and I don't think they can afford to really give him a ton of rest if we're serious about locking down this this third wild card spot. We're still three games out, like I said in the intro, but. If anything, at least it was a low stress start uh, for him, and we'll uh, we'll see what he does in the Astros series. But didn't hate it. Nick, what were your thoughts on Brian Bayo? I think I think that's a good way of describing it. That Terry just said as he ended his statement, um, it was good enough. It was able to get everything to a point where you could. Have a quality start. You could count on him to deliver and get a nice job there and anchor that rotation. He's been a little inconsistent the past month. He had his rough start against Oakland. Obviously, the Detroit start was also a struggle. You really needed him to come into New York and really kind of find his groove. And I feel like he did that. The Yankees, again, they're not scaring me whatsoever this season. They're not having their greatest of years. But I think that the, this start that he just gave you was a confidence builder, especially going into your big series here with Houston. He'll be pitching in that series. And he'll probably have Houston again when they come back home to Fenway. So 
you're going to need him to bear down, work with some of these great teams, and get some of these really good hitters out and be counted on if you're going to make any sort of run here this late month of August and into September. So it was great to see what he's been able to do against the Yankees. So far, so good with him against the Yankees. He's been pitching very well against them. So hopefully the best is yet to come. And yeah, the innings total is getting up there. It's getting up there with Cutter Crawford too. Heck, it's getting up there with the bullpen. It's 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 do or die time. So it's time to figure out how you can balance out your rotation. Hopefully get at least six innings out of Bayo the rest of the season here and ride them high the best you can do. As both of you guys have mentioned, right, Brian Bayo has stumbled a little bit as we've entered these uncharted territories in terms of innings. Um, you know, balls are starting to get up in the air. He's a, a ground ball pitcher. And when you play Red Sox-Yankees, in my opinion, you throw the book out. You know, both teams could be last place. One team could be first place. Uh, next, you know, the other team could be last place. It's always going to be a dogfight. And for him to go in game one of this series – and really set the tone, in my opinion, was huge. Um, to see him kind of have a bounce-back start, the type of start that he had in that stretch, you know, in May, uh, June, and into July was was really good to see. You know, uh, Terry, you had mentioned it, the, the Yankees haven't been the Yankees of old, but, you know, they're still a team that can leave the yard at a moment's notice, and they've proved that, you know, even today, right? Volpe's been swinging a good bat. Torres obviously swings a good bat, and Judge is always a, always a threat. And so... To, to shut them down, to limit them to one inning, keep them in the yard. Uh, you know, Nick, as you mentioned, he's been pitching well against the Yankees, over 31 career innings, a one four five ERA. The guys got the upper-level stuff, right? You know, it's just can we build up that arm strength? Can we keep him healthy? Can we keep him in the rotation? But, um, you know, he absolutely did his job. You know, he, he got us through game one, ate up a lot of innings, which was good for the bullpen, and, you know, really kind of put it to the Yankees early, which I think um, – Took a lot of pressure off, and it was it was good to see too. Coming off of the the Washington series, when you know we really should have handled business. Bad teams are not. You got to take care of business, and that's something that the Red Sox have struggled with this season. And so, you know, to to do it against the Yankees and the Bronx is is always good. Anything else you guys would like to add? Yes, Terry. I just want to just a quick nugget. In nine of his last twelve starts, going back to June eleventh the Red Sox have won the game and he didn't necessarily get credited with the win in all those games, but the Red Sox did end up winning the game when he was the starting pitcher. So kind of impressive. Very much so. And, you know, and it doesn't always been via run support, right? You know, it's, it'd be one thing if his average run support was like nine point, whatever runs. I think Lackey had one of those years uh, where, you know, he had a great win-loss record, but his ERA was like mid-fours just because he got all the run support. But, uh, you know, Bayo's definitely been, been pitching very well. Um, moving on to the last stud of the studs uh, segment, the stud that I had for this series was Rafael Devers. I think this is uh, not too shocking. Definitely somebody that deserved to be on this list. Uh, you know, 9 for 13 on the weekend, 6 runs, 4 RBIs, 2 walks, only 1 strikeout two home runs, and he uh, set the tone early and often, right? Game one, he had a single that led to the three-run bomb by Yoshida. Game two, another single on the top of the first, and then obviously game three today, you know, goes yard off of Schmidt to, to get the scoring going. Um, it's good to see him get a swing back in, you know, in order. Um, 
yes, it's a, against a team that isn't necessarily performing up to their capacity or their expectations, but you have to take care of business. He's hitting 520 with an OPS over 1,600 in Yankee Stadium this season. Um, obviously, he's got great numbers against Garrett Cole. Uh, I don't really know what else there is to say, right? We're running out of superlatives. Uh, but it's good to see him, you know, get going, get that swing back, hitting singles, hitting doubles, hitting balls out of the yard. We've got, you know, the stretch of all stretches coming up on the in the next couple of weeks. We've got the toughest schedule to close out the season. And, you know, if, if Devers isn't going, if he's not hitting the way that we know that he's capable of, I think we're toast. And so to, to see him swing the bat, to see him be on base pretty much every plate appearance that he was on um, was was really good to see. What are your guys' thoughts? I found a really interesting stat on Devers' career. This does not include postseason or anything like that against the Yankees. In his career, he's batting 260. He's got 95 hits, 23 homers, 61 RBIs, and 59 runs scored. And that's a 96 game versus the Yankees in his career. Not bad. Not bad right there. I thought the average was actually going to be up a little higher than that. But the thing that I think on Devers... For whatever it is against the Yankees, I feel like he thrives playing against them, it's particularly or particularly against Garrett Cole. We all know what he does against him. He loves taking him yard and just having at it. But I think he digs down deep mentally and tries to get himself as focused as he can against the Yankees and superior teams. Sometimes against teams that aren't as up at your level or – less superior, I feel like the mental mistakes add up. Case in point, if you look back at the National Series, yeah, he had a home run and everything like that, but he made some critical errors, some really bad, questionable choices out on the field and bases and stuff like that. That right there is when I get to worry a little bit more about Devers, and I think other fans do the same. I think we try and watch and see what he's going to do, but I feel like, again, when the talent is there and he's up against the best teams i feel like he really shines in the moment and wants to be that star i just wish we saw that translated more often because i think that's the hump that he can take to put himself on that superstar level but overall from this series i was very happy with it numbers aside from the season if you look at it right now very steady very they look great on paper it's all about how you finish, and I want to see those numbers get better and better, especially later in August as we get and into September to see if he can carry this team into the postseason. There's not really a ton for me to add here. I mean, he destroys the Yankees. You know, he shows up, and it's it's almost a, a massacre every time he does it, and um, he's slipped a little bit. He was top three and, and runs batted in, but I mean, the, the team's been cold a little bit. He's, uh, he's eighth now tied with Nolan Arenado. Uh, you know, on that Mookie Betts is actually just one spot ahead with one more run driven in, but man, if, if he could play the Yankees every day, he'd be the greatest baseball player of all time. I mean, he just, he, he just destroys them and we don't, or at least I, I don't, I haven't seen much, you know, talked about his childhood, who his heroes were, 
But in the Dominican Republic, I mean, the Red Sox have strong roots there. I mean, David Ortiz, obviously, you know, is um, larger than life. And Pedro Martinez uh, as well, you know, from the Dominican Republic. And uh, Devers was six years old when the Red Sox reversed the curse. So um, if we could just be a perennial playoff contender again, and we haven't been for quite some time, Man, there's just no telling what kind of heroics this guy could have in the month of October. And I know Turner's been the guy. And tomorrow night against the Astros, if the bases are loaded and I had my pick, you know, with two outs, if I wanted Devers or Turner, I probably would take Turner tomorrow night. But in the month of October, I I want Rafi Devers. I want Rafi Devers. I really think he's going to be the guy that takes us to the promised land. He's going to be the guy that's the most locked in. And when we finally get back there, I he'll have those signature moments that that he's missing. You know, that David Ortiz had. And hopefully the wait won't be too long. Anything else that you guys would like to add on the studs segment? Yes, Nick. Glad you said David Ortiz, Terry, because that's who the Red Sox would love him to be. That's who John Henry and all the others that signed that big contract and checked for him and everything like that. In a perfect world, that's your next guy up. That is your Ortiz person. And if he turns into being even just a a morsel of what Ortiz was, I think many, many fans here in Boston will be very happy. I don't think anybody could argue with that. Uh, Some honorable mentions before we move on to the duds segment. I wanted to give a shout out to Martin and Jansen. A lot of traffic on the base pass today, but no runs crossed the plate. I wanted to give a shout out to Urias and Yoshida for their four RBI games. Uh, It was the first time the Red Sox have had a four RBI game in Yankee Stadium since 2018. We had a player do it in each game of the series. So that was a pretty cool little nugget from the weekend. Any other honorable mentions that you gentlemen wanted to mention? Nick. Our, Our Eduardo Nunez comparison, Pablo Reyes. I don't know how I forgot about even mentioning him. Spark plug. I love the energy. I love what he's been able to give this team when you were getting diddly squat from Christian Arroyo. Not much offensively at all from Yu Chang. And the Red Sox believed in Pablo Reyes versus Kike Hernandez. So it's great to see the guy contribute. It's great to see him get the opportunity. And he is just flourishing in every opportunity that he gets. He's very easy to root for, and I hope for the best for the guy because I, I love that underdog mentality, and that's that's where he was. He was an underdog. So having a guy like that that's out there to prove something just makes it so easy to root for, especially when he contributes and helps this team win. I want him in the lineup. I want him at second base as often as possible. So it's great to see. Really is, you know, uh, off the pine batting over 300 and a couple of big hits too. You know, the walk-off grand slam was obviously big, but uh, yeah. And Terry, was there anybody that you wanted to mention? 
Uh, no, I, I love the Eduardo Nunez comparison because when, the year we traded for him, he was a spark plug. He ended up getting hurt right before the playoffs, but you know, throughout August and September, I mean, everybody forgets about him. And uh-huh. the so other, important to that team, yeah. And one thing I'll share real quick: that year was very tumultuous for the Red Sox because you had the Pedroia Machado controversy, which kind of split the fan base. You had the whole thing with David Price and Dennis Eckersley on the charter plane. And then they trade for Nunez and Brock Holt shared a story about how they were all having lunch or whatever, like food gets catered into them uh, daily, I think in the clubhouse. And they were all just kind of eating lunch, you know, before doing workouts and all that. And Nunez looked around the clubhouse and he goes, he says to Brock Holt, he goes, is everybody around here always this miserable? (laughs) You know, he's this happy guy, you know, trying to make the most of it. You know, he got pulled off the Giants. I don't think they were a playoff team that year. I remember watching the game. He got traded because it was, it was hug watch. You know, there was a few days before the deadline and I just happened to be watching it and everybody was hugging Nunez. And I'm like, man, I wonder if we're going to get him. And we did. And, um, you know, Reyes didn't quite have Nunez was, a you know, a known, you know, utility infielder at that point. People were familiar with him and we were because he had been with the Yankees prior. Nobody knew who Pablo Reyes was and he was plucked out of nowhere and um, had some timely hits uh, earlier in the summer. You know, it was one of those guys that we, we keep saying was just kind of moving the line uh, you know, uh, you know, driving people home with, with timely hits. And, and then of course, uh, which series was it? I think it was game one against Kansas city, um, tie game. And he just crushes one and yeah, just, so I, I don't think he's a long-term guy, but it's, uh, you know, we'll enjoy it while, uh, while he's here and he'll probably have some big moments, uh, you know, in the coming weeks and, and a solid glove in the infield as well, which we badly which needed. Stability in the infield is never overrated. Yeah, right. We've been through the ringer with bad uh, infield defense this year. Sure have. Uh, speaking of that infield defense, let's uh, switch on over to duds. Nick, who do you have for your dud for the New York Yankees series? The guy's not a dud in my eyes in the field, at least, but the overhyped mentality drives me kind of insane on Trevor's story. Is he better than what you've had at shortstop this season? Absolutely. I'm not going to argue that whatsoever. You got a guy that, yeah, he's been an all-star. He's been very, very good with what he's been able to do, Colorado-wise at least. But you know what? Outside of that, number-wise, when you look at that in comparison out there, to me, it screams average player. And the Red Sox got real excited, the not last offseason, the previous offseason when they got him. And they really did think that he was going to be the next guy after Xander Bogarts and everything. I'm happy he's back. Don't get me wrong on that. I'm very grateful he got back from the elbow injury and he got himself to a point where he's there. To me, Trevor's story does not look like a gamer to me. He looks like a guy that's very happy with just being there and taking that money and everything. 
I think that he's with the bat, very shaky. I don't think he's ready right now. I don't think he's a hundred percent. I'll even tell you he's probably 60%. So all that commotion that started when he was down in Worcester, getting those reps, getting his time and everything back, it was rushed. And there was a lot of people, I'm included, that said, you know what? If you're putting up these numbers in Worcester, you need to come up to the big league club. They need some help. We can't do Yu Chang experiments anymore. You've seen flashes, but then you've seen other flashes where he's 0 for 4, 0 for 5, 4Ks. The timing is just not there. To be fair to the guy, he hasn't had a spring training. But the sample size that I see so far here in Boston has been a disappointment. And I'm sorry to have to even say it, but I just don't feel like this contract over the long haul is going to be worth the money the Red Sox invested with Trevor Story. I just don't. I think it could have been spread out elsewhere to help this team in other ways. I want to be wrong on this very badly, but from what my eyes see and what I see from him producing on the field, does not scream to me a guy that's going to move the needle and get the job done and win games and be somebody I can feel confident with time in and time out. Last thing before we open it up to the other guys, I just want to let you know Trevor Story's numbers so far for the month of August. So he has had 39 at-bats. He's got eight of those hits. If you do that math out, that comes to a 205 average. For the month of August, he has also struck out 14 times. That is alarming to me. And that trend that he has right there, if the Red Sox are going to make a run, better stop very quickly. Otherwise, it's going to be a very disappointing October because you need some help with Trevor Story. And he needs to, he needs to prove his worth, at least in my opinion. Terry, what are your thoughts? If he doesn't pick it up, I'm going to start calling him Trevor Chang because that's about the same level of uh, offense he's giving us. So he's played 10 games so far. And all of his hits were in a three-game cluster. That was games three, four, and five out of the 10 that he's played. And he has not registered uh, a hit. Oh, wait, he did today. My bad. So coming into today, he hadn't registered a hit um, since that four for four game against uh, the Tigers, where we all thought he snapped out of it. And so I'm willing to ride it out this year because it is what it is. Like Nick said, he didn't have a spring training. He's coming off of the most significant injury he's ever had. But hopefully hopefully we we start to see the guy that you know that was so impactful in the earlier part of his career in Colorado. Hopefully we start to see that guy never at any point. I mean, we just said a bunch of nice things about Pablo Reyes, who has really embraced the Red Sox, who knows he's playing in some of the most hallowed grounds in all of sports and, and making the most of an opportunity. Like the dude's been, you know, he, he's been a lightning rod. He's, he's, you know, and 
that hasn't happened with Trevor Story. Like it hasn't really caught on for him. And he's not he's not a guy that really comes through in the big moments. So hopefully we start to see that. I mean, you you don't get to the postseason without Trevor Story picking it up, hitting with consistency, getting the strikeouts down. You just don't get there. So he he's gonna have to he's gonna have to start hitting at a clip that we've never seen him do so far. Not a lot to add here. Um, one thing to note, I think he signed what a six year, one hundred and forty million dollar contract two off seasons ago, uh, which at the time was a very large contract. And then looking at this past off season, six one forty seems like chump change with the way that the money's moving around in baseball. So maybe there's a little bit of a wiggle room there and you know i don't want to pile on too much i don't want to talk about a guy that had no spring training as you guys all mentioned but we're starting to get to that point to where if he isn't producing then it's a conversation right because you know we all know that hitting a baseball is dang near the hardest thing to do in professional sports and i'm willing to give him you know some reprieve the the breaking balls the off speeds you know the the miles per hour change from a fastball to off speed in the minors isn't going to be the same this is the big leagues. Obviously, this is the best of the best, and it's going to take a little bit of time to to get back up, to trust your arm, to trust your elbow, to get that confidence. Um, he's been no worries in, in the field, and that's all I care about at this moment, right? Find your timing. The offense has been able to produce runs while you've been up. As long as you're not making any errors when a ground ball goes to shortstop, I know that uh, he's either going to put it in his pocket or he's going to make an on-time throw. You know, he had a great relay on the bullpen play in in the eighth inning of today's game that honestly debatably saved us the game at that point right he's been great in in the field bat hasn't caught up he's kind of you know he's he's running out of real estate to where we're we're kind of okay with him ramping up him getting up to speed you know uh, a 10 game 15 game spring training by trial by fire but um you know hopefully he can turn it around because when he's going right we saw it last year i mean he's he's a difference maker in this lineup he can leave the yard at a moment's notice and we just you know we need to see that bat kind of wake up a little bit terry why don't you give us your dud for the series so my dud for the series is gonna be john schreiber and it's a little weird because you know he we ended up winning the game anyway but still it was it it brought a lot of stress to the game and he pitched the bottom half of the seventh and it was the top half of the seventh where Justin Turner hit that three run shot. And that gave the Red Sox at the time, a three run cushion. The score was five to two. And as soon as Turner hit that, I'm like game over the, you know, the Yankees are buried. They're not going to play three runs. They're, they're not hitting well. I mean, the Yankees, I should have mentioned this in the open, but they're in the last 30, excuse me, the last 30 days, they are 28th in hits and 30th in doubles in all of Major League Baseball. So they're right at the very bottom. So again, I'm thinking there's no way that that's a insurmountable gap that the Yankees aren't going to close. In comes John Schreiber. And Schreiber hasn't pitched too bad. In fact, he did pitch game two and had a, a scoreless. He had a, a pretty clean inning. Didn't No one got on base. He struck out one. That was game two. 
So no real reason to be concerned about Schreiber coming in. He's just going to be one of those guys that protects that three-run lead. Harrison Bader leads off the inning, hits a single, gets on base pretty quick. Then Billy McKinney comes in, who's not a, a fearsome guy in the batter's box. He can draw some walks and be somewhat of a pesky at bat, but he's not really one of their impact guys. Schreiber hits him with a pitch. And whenever I see a, a pitcher hit a batter with a pitch, my anxiety level goes up because I'm like, he just, he might not have it. He might not have it. And Anthony Volpe comes up and hits a three-run shot and ties the game. So that insurmountable three-run lead I thought we had just got wiped away. Wiped away. And granted, that home run that Volpe hit is only a home run in two ballparks. Uh, I forget which one the uh, the other one wouldn't have been, but um, I think it's Cincinnati, Terry. It was. It absolutely was. Yeah. Great, great American ballpark. That is what they said. So it just the it got out of control real fast for Schreiber, and before he got hurt, he was up and down. He wasn't quite the same guy as last year. It wasn't terrible, but. Hopefully this is uh, just a blip. Um, you know, Higashioka came in and uh, drew a walk. And then finally, uh, Schreiber was able to settle down and, uh, you know, get some outs. But not a, not a good outing for Schreiber. And uh, I'll also say, because we're not even going to get into dishonorables, but Chris Martin's starting to get hit around a little bit. And the runners aren't coming home, but there's just not the same level of invincibility. So, um, and I, while I'm at it, Garrett Whitlock uh, gave up, a, I think, a two-run homer in uh, game one. It wasn't that consequential because we had a big lead at the time. But, but this bullpen, I don't know. I'm a little, I'm a little worried because it's a very taxed bullpen. And and we'll we'll see how they perform, uh, you know, as as the series uh, get tougher here uh, over the next week. Nick, what are your thoughts? I hate to beat a dead horse, but Terry, I agree a hundred percent with you with this whole bullpen. Schreiber's one of the ones as well that I'm getting to the level of being concerned with the amount of innings that have been pitched. What really threw Schreiber off was that first batter that was up when it got hit right off of him. He didn't get that out. I think that really affected him for that inning. Then you saw, like you said, Terry, the hit by pitch. And I think things just started to unravel. I know that the Red Sox pitching was really upset and I don't mean to spoil it, but the umpire is coming up next on getting the right calls and everything that was going their way. And I just think he threw a fat one right down the middle of the plate. And in 28 other ballparks, that is a catch in right field. Same goes for Whitlock's on Friday night. The good thing with Whitlock on his outing that he did have for Friday was the fact that command looked all right. K's were up. Velocity looked like it was getting to the point where we can trust that. With Schreiber... I'm going to lean towards I'm not super concerned on this outing that he had. I think he was just emotionally all over the place. I think the biggest takeaway for him 
needs to be to keep himself in control. In a way, use what Kenley Jansen did this afternoon where he allowed two runners back on, but he bared down. He got out of the jam. He figured it out and was able to find a way to get the job done. If Kenley's such a leader, which we know of, I'm sure that they've already had a conversation in the clubhouse about, hey, you know, next time out, dude, why don't we go with trying something that's a little bit like this? Hopefully they're picking each other's brains and helping each other out as good teammates from that. Last thing on the Schreiber front, I know he hasn't pitched a ton this season, but his August numbers alone, I know it's a it, it's very all over the map because he hasn't thrown, but he's at a 7.56 ERA for the month of August. That's not very good. He's thrown 8.1 innings. He's allowed eight earned uh, seven earned runs. Excuse me on that. So. Now it's time to figure out, make some adjustments, and hopefully he can be in that circle of trust because you're going to need it. Yeah, I mean, not a lot to, to add there. I think you guys made some some great points. Um, I don't think I'd seen a three-run lead evaporate as quickly as it did, right? You know, he obviously takes that comebacker off the foot. Uh, he walked McKinney on four pitches. It was Jansen that hit LeMahieu in the ninth Um but I, in my opinion, uh, Schreiber got squeezed on two of those pitches, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But that that inning got away from him so fast. And like you guys mentioned, he got emotional. I did not realize that his numbers had been trending so poorly in, in August. And, you know, this has been somebody that we've been counting on for the entirety of this season, right? He's been kind of a, a go-to guy, whether it be in the opener role when we've had bullpen days or a lock-it-down middle inning relief kind of guy, and he's been huge for what Cora has been trying to maneuver with the bullpen. But as those innings continue to stack up, we're going to we're gonna really see what he's made of. And, you know, hopefully he can get some, you know, time off, maybe uh, a series off if he needs it or, or whatnot to, to get right because, you know, when he's going well, this bullpen's really dangerous. Terry, what do you got? Uh, just one last uh, pitching uh, note. Nick Pavetta didn't look bad today, uh, but the one thing that also bears watching with him is you're starting to see the balls leave the park quite a bit, and he's given up home runs in four of his last five uh, outings, and in three of those four where he did give up home runs, it was multiple home runs, so a, a little bit to be concerned with there, and it was interesting that he had been starting uh, the last two or three games. And then I think Cora also getting a sense that, okay, he's slipping a little bit. He looks a little bit more vulnerable. So they started uh, Winkowski today as the opener to kind of get him back maybe into that bulk roll mentality. And uh, he gave up two uh, earned anyway, but he still gave you five innings with, with eight strikeouts. But still, you know, I, I think that that bears watching as well. There's definitely a little bit of uh, blood in the water. Or they're leaking a little bit of oil coming out of that bullpen, which had been so good for so long. It definitely bears, bears monitoring, right? Uh, you know, we're kind of getting to new territory for a lot of these guys, right? You know, these are... These are players that maybe haven't had these roles for entire seasons that are now trying to kind of figure it out and piecemeal it down the stretch. Uh, anything else that you guys wanted to mention on the Schreiber segment? 
All righty, moving on to the final dud of the dud segment. Uh, for me, this was Junior Valentin, uh, the home plate umpire for today's contest. And uh, this this honestly ruined the experience of watching this baseball game. It was one of the you know more exciting games of the year, right? A back and forth affair. You know, you, like Terry mentioned, we go up five two. What was that in the seventh inning? And I was like, oh man, game's over, right? Turner just put one in the seats. There's no way the bullpen's going to be great. We're going to be fine. And sure enough. Uh, it's tied there in the bottom of the seventh, and now we got to go find another run. Um, he was all over the place, and I'm, I'm, I don't mind if an ump has a bad strike zone as long as he's consistent. If you're giving the outside edge, sure. If you're giving a low strike zone or a high strike zone, that's fine. Pitchers can figure it out. Hey, they're calling that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna attack it. Or batters know, like, hey, they're, they're calling the outside edge. I got to defend it. But this guy was inconsistent. And, you know, yes, he squeezed the Red Sox. He squeezed Shriver on the McKinney pitch. He squeezed Story on a low strikeout that wasn't a strike to, to Volpe or whatnot. But he also squeezed the Yankees. I think there was two separate strikeouts that Judge had on balls that would have been low in the zone um, that ended up bringing him up. And it really did change the outcome of the game, you know. And far be it for me to sit here and complain <laughs> about an umpire's performance, you know, uh, after a sweep and getting the victory, but it all culminated with, with that eighth inning Volpe trying to score from the single to left field. Wong's got the ball. He's in front of the plate. Volpe's in front of, in front of Wong and Valentin's behind both of them. He can see the plate. He can see both players and he still calls him safe. Right. And I, you know, it obviously went to New York. They reversed it. Then New York challenged it to see, Oh, was it, you know, catcher's interference and they're like no the ball took him into the base path he was perfectly fine the guy had a horrendous performance in my opinion today and i can't wait to see what the umpire scorecard is for his accuracy balls and strikes consistency uh tomorrow because i gotta imagine it's gonna be uh pretty unfavorable for him what are your guys' thoughts I had a take on the YouTube show that we do when I was with Brendan, and I said, if you know as a fan the umpire's name, that is not good, at least in my eyes. If you know the name of Jim Joyce, Angel Hernandez, Ron Culpa, and this Bobby Valentine bozo, you're in for a run for your money. That pitch that Pavetta threw. I want to say it was the second inning. That may go down as one of the most embarrassing balls that I think I may have seen in baseball. That was so horrifically bad. Like, fireable offense bad. He threw it right down Broadway, and the umpire was either blind, checked out, took a nap, had no idea what was going on. I felt like the whole crew, though, not just the umpire was all over the place. When I saw that play live in the in the bottom of the eighth with Ref Snyder falling down and tripping and the throw coming to home plate with Wong, amazingly ended up getting the out from that. I thought from my you know blind eye just looking at that, I, I thought he was going to be safe. I think a lot of fans thought the same. I thought the foot was there underneath the tag, but the umpire right away said, you know, safe and everything from that. So I was really surprised with hearing what they said on that call, you know, to reverse it and everything, and it gets us into the situation to win the ball game here from today. But we're seeing a recurring theme with the umpires continuing to be bad, worse. I don't know where it's going to get to. 
But I think it's a perfect opportunity to also say, are we ready for robot umps? Because if they can't get these clear calls right effectively, then Major League Baseball needs to do something about it. And then the last thing I wanted to say, too, is I don't think they're harsh enough on the discipline. I know Joe Torre and I know a couple others that take care of the umpire and crews and stuff like that. I don't feel like there's enough teaching, feedback, scheduling the right people and stuff. I feel like that guy should be talked to or suspended for the week because of a call that's right down there. If you want to improve the game and get it to a point where it's being called the right way, these umpires need to be held accountable. And there's no accountability right now in baseball with what we do next if an umpire does make the, a bad call and you can't fix it. Major League Baseball, I am calling on you to make a stand here, figure this thing out, and get rid of some of these bozos who have no business calling a baseball game. Nick, you made a lot of great points. I just wanted to add one one quick thing before we kick it over to Terry. The accountability is uh, a great point, right? I think it is in the NBA that they've got to give like a five-minute report essentially on what their officiating was. There is there is no accountability. There is no equivalent to that in the MLB, right? You know, And I, I want to be fair to the umpires as well. It's got to be incredibly difficult to call balls and strikes. You got the sun, you got the shade, you know, pitches coming in at 100 miles an hour. I'm not going to claim that I can do it better, but I'm also not umpiring at the highest level. And I also wanted to give a shout out to Alex Cora. You know, I've been calling for him to do more for this team, to be that player's uh, manager that he has claimed to be, that he has, you know, staked his reputation on. It was good to see him get fired up, to be yelling at uh, at Valentin, to, you know, continue the comments in the press conference, to get the guys in the clubhouse, you know, fired up. Jansen came in, pulled him out of the press conference. It looked like they went and celebrated. This is the Cora that we had in 2018. This is the Cora that gets the guys fired up and gets the guys ready to play. Um, I've been bagging on Cora all year, wanted to give props to him uh, when I thought, you know, he was fighting for our guys today, right? Valentin was awful and he got tossed. It was just the third time he's been tossed all season. Uh, so tip of the cap to Cora. Terry, over to you. Stole my thunder, Cody. I thought, man, they just left me the low-hanging Cora fruit and I'm going to, you know, go in with that. He was dropping F-bombs during his uh, press conference, and he even said, I don't care if I get fined. Every bleeping pitch matters. And uh, so he was uh, fired up for sure. Um, I don't know what to make of Junior Valentine. He's I want to say that we had him earlier in the year. He had a, another bad game with us previously, inconsistent. I don't remember the details about it. When I was pulling up his uh, bio right now, he had a, a game where he called a balk on Ryan Stanek, a uh, Astros reliever, and that balk ended up leading a run, the winning run to come in. And uh, so that caused a bit of a controversy. He's one of the younger umpires in Major League Baseball. He was, uh, I'm four years older than him. <laughs> so he's 35 years old. He'll be 36 this October. So it's not like, you know, with Angel Hernandez, is he getting older? Is the skill set um, and perception kind of fading for him? Uh, some people thought that of Joe West, who retired uh, a couple years ago. I think he was in his mid to late 60s. Um, 
I was a big Joe West fan. I was always entertained by him. Um, I'm in the minority, and I, I understand that. Uh, but yeah, so with, with Valentine, uh, just not a good game, and not many good things happen in baseball when there's a Valentine involved, <laughs> especially uh, with the Red Sox. Um, but yeah, so it, it wasn't uh, wasn't a good game. I will say this though. His strike zone was horrendous and grossly inconsistent. I thought Kiner Falefa was safe at home. I thought I thought the the his foot slid in between. Um, I can't remember. Was it Connor Wong at that point? Slid through uh, Wong's legs, and um, I think the tag missed him. I was really surprised that got overturned because the evidence wasn't very strong, but they took a really uh, good look at it. And I think from a Red Sox perspective, all the guys in the dugout, Alex Cora, who I'm pretty sure was watching from the clubhouse at that point, you know, they all thought he was out. Like there was no debate regardless of what is, you know, what the screen was showing. So I, I think that play as well was a big, um, reason why, why they were fired up because it, it really did change the game. The Yankees are up by a run at that point. Who knows if they still choke it away, but, uh, you probably go into extras at a minimum and I would probably favor the Red Sox there regardless, but, but it, it, it did change the game. So, um, I wonder if Junior Valentine will be umpiring a World Series anytime soon. <laughs> so we'll see. Angel Hernandez uh, famously has a lawsuit against Major League Baseball. I don't know if it's uh, been resolved yet, but he hasn't uh, umpired a World Series in quite some time, and he thinks he's being discriminated against. So we'll see. It was definitely one of those calls where – you figured whatever the call on the field was, was going to be the one that stood right. And cause he was safe on the field. You're like, well, I don't see enough to overturn here. And you know, New York comes down and says he's out. And I think all of us were, were surprised, but uh, was there anything else that you all wanted to mention in the, in the duds segment, any other names that we want to throw in the hat? I think it's pretty hard with a, with a sweep, but I'll leave uh, the floor open. Think we're nope. good. Can't think of anybody else. Yeah, I can't think Alrighty. of anything else. That wraps us for all of us here tonight. We want to thank all of our loyal listeners and to our first-time listeners as well. We appreciate all of you. Whether you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcast, we thank you. Everyone, have a great night and take care.